Good morning. Good morning. Um, Let's go straight to the passage. It's from James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that our God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's a good passage, yeah? It's a good passage. As Martin mentioned last week, it took a while for James himself to believe that Jesus, his brother, was the Son of God. And he believed in him after his resurrection. James believed and was then passionate to the point of his own death for the sake of the truth of who Jesus is. And I would say that by being in Jesus' family, he wouldn't have missed that Jesus was pretty passionate about the word. Jesus was known, wasn't he, in scripture to be someone who was passionate about the word. He'd go to the temple. He knew the word. He, he spoke about the word. He was someone who knew the word. And James would have known this. So James is hammering home a very important point here, the importance of knowing the word, really knowing the word, and of living it, doing it, of living the word. I'm using the, word, the term living a lot, not because doing is wrong, but I feel like doing the word seems a little bit alien, but living the word So we're actually doing it, but we're living it. We're living every part of it. So often I'm going to use the phrase living the word, and that's this doing bit. So we're knowing the word, and we're living the word. Jesus himself says, blessed are those who hear the word of God, so that's knowing it, and obey it. Again, living it. Blessed. I don't know about you, but I think blessed is pretty much always good. Blessed is good. I remember back to when Isaac was small, there was a time that I wasn't particularly feeling blessed. At the time, Terry was stepping into a new era for him of really praying and stepping out of his boat, as it were, and really praying for the sick. And what was happening in lots of places where he was going around the country, lots and lots of people were being healed. And it was an amazing, exciting time. But at home, I'd got a two-year-old and a one-year-old, and my two-year-old became sick. I'm not going to go into the details, but he was quite sick, and we didn't really know what was going on. So in my head, I'd concluded that somehow Terry stepping out and other people getting healed was at the cost of my little boy being poorly. Now, that wasn't right, 
and it was a twist in my head. And somehow or somewhere along the line, I'd let something wrong in my thinking come in and somehow take me off course in what I believed about Jesus. Anyway, nobody knew this. I was in a little bit of a mess. And I came into this place one Sunday morning with the fake smile on that we talked about just now earlier on today. And that little bit of a, yes, I knew it was true, but I knew God's great, but I'm not feeling blessed right now. And what's wrong with my little boy? Anyway, someone came up to me. Um, I don't suppose they even remember doing it. And they came up to me and said, I need to tell you this, Helen. I don't know why, but I felt that God spoke to me last night about you. Um, God told me to say this. The best place for you and your family is to be in his will, God's will, even when it's tough. The best place, the best place for you is in his will. And it straightened out my thinking, got back on track. My little boy was still poorly. I mean, praise God, he's better. But the best place for me, whether or not it was tough, was to be in his will. The message today from James is clear. It's about both knowing it and living it. We sometimes in church, I think, have kind of two ends of a spectrum about the word of God. I'm going to be a little bit a little bit cheeky here, but on the one end of, that, of the spectrum, we have those that really know it, like really, really know it. They know the word, they know the word, they know the word. They've got books on subjects that some of us don't even know that that subject exists. That's the one end of the spectrum. And on the other end of the spectrum, we've got those that really do it, serious about doing the word. Well, I've had enough of reading it. Now it's time to get into action, time to get on and do it. I don't know whether you can relate to either end of this spectrum. And then there's those, I believe, and when I was preparing this, I felt it was important to address those that don't really fit into either category. And some of those have got to a point of thinking, I'm not really bothered either way. And I'm not really that bothered by the word. I'm talking about people who know deep, deep, deep in their hearts that the truth of God is in the word. But even though they know that living it is the only real and authentic way to live life, got to the place of thinking, what's the point? What's the point? What's the point of this word anyway? I'm not even feeling the passion. I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling it. In Galatians 5, when talking about living by the Spirit and being filled by the Spirit, Paul says this, you were running a good race. You're running a good race. Who cut in on you? Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? If either knowing the word, kind of wanting to read it, wanting to gain more knowledge, or living it, or best of all, the combination of both, isn't stacking up for any of us today. It's not kind of ticking the boxes. It's not feeling right I totally believe, totally believe, that something, someone, a circumstance, an issue, something has cut in. Something's got in on your race. And what's important is, a little bit like me with my story about Isaac as a little one, it's from your perspective. You totally believe you can't do it anymore. And it's not 
from God's point of view. Who cut in on you? See, the truth is, I think we believe this, the word of God, it brings freedom. It brings clarity. It brings security. It brings our hope. It brings direction. And if today we've decided that I'm disinterested in living it, I'm disinterested in walking it. I'm disinterested in changing some of the stuff that I know jolly well's got in the way. I would ask the question, who has cut in on you? Who's cut in on you? What lies are we believing? To know it and to live it. That word we had during the the prophetic time, during our worship, that fire and power of God that can break in, that can do all things that can break in on our fears, can deal with our sin. Are we knowing it and living it? This is what James says. Let's look a little bit more at our passage today. Starting with verse 19, he starts with this phrase, and I think this is a really, 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 really important phrase that he starts with. He starts with, my dear brothers. Now, some versions, if we know some in our heads of older versions, says, my beloved, my beloved My beloved brothers and sisters, take notice of this. Take note of this. It starts right at the beginning with the total absolute of the love of God. Absolute of the love of God. My beloved, my dear ones, my whole heart. So when James is writing this letter, he's reminding us first, the love of God is over this. Sometimes when we get a wrong perspective of God, wrong perspective of the word, wrong perspective of things. What we're doing is we feel or we have concluded that we've got this bit the wrong way around. The truth is we are working from the love of God, from it, not for the love of God. So when we come to this passage, we're coming with the given of we are from the love of God. We are coming from the love of God. We're not working for his love. We've already got it. Maybe some of us have got this the wrong way around. Maybe we're trying to live our lives well. And that's when it becomes monotonous. That's when it becomes hard work. That's when it becomes a real effort because we're trying, we're trying, trying. But we're trying to kind of do good things in order that we earn God's love rather than we've got God's love wow, what do I want to do now? I've got the fire, I've got the passion, I've got the excitement. I believe what it says. Now I want to go into action. Maybe we read scriptures like this one we're going to read a bit more in a minute and we just see the list of to-dos and not-to-dos and think, oh, well, if I do that or if I don't do that, then ta-da, I gain God's love. Maybe. Some of us are smiling. This is not where James starts. It's not where, even, where he even goes. He's not going there at all. What, the truth of where jo- what James is saying is we are working from the love of God and not for it. So let's remember right at the beginning, let this bit sink in. James' letter starts with dear, beloved. Beloved. In verses 19 to 21, we then have some, some attitudes that if we have about it in our head, thinking, if I act like this in a situation, if I behave like this in a situation, then I'm best working out what it says in the Bible. I'm best living my life. Let's have a look at at some of these things that he says. James says, everyone should be quick to listen, 
quick to listen. That's a good lesson in life, isn't it? Some people admit that they're a bad listener, and some of us just are bad listeners. No, that's not fair. But some of us are less good at listening than others. And to be fair, I reckon most of us can probably work at listening a little bit better. Do we get easily distracted, or are we bored by what the person's saying, so then we switch off a bit? Here, James is saying it's important. Why is he saying it's important? He's just saying it's important to learn to listen. Learn to listen well. Linked, probably quite intrinsically, is slow to speak. We are to be slow to speak. I'm going to ask you a question. Has anyone had one of those personality tests? Personality test? Yeah, hands up. I've, I've, before I trash the, no, I'm not trashing it. Before I mention these, I have actually done these with a group of people and they can be very helpful, but I also think they're really funny because somebody, for instance, if we have this example, somebody who you know is, um, let's say, a chatterbox comes to you after having done one of these personality tests and says, I'm actually an ESTJ type personality, which means I'm a blah, 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 blah. And all you're hearing is loads of words because, quite frankly, you already knew that they were a chatterbox and now they've had a test to prove this. And, and um, I find them funny. Anyway, a more politically correct version of chatterbox these days isn't a chatterbox. What is it? It's an external processor. And that's someone who has, they have to say something. They have to. More than that, they think out loud. That's, that's somehow okay if you call it an external processor. Whilst they are speaking, they are thinking, not think first and then speak. Actually, before I trash people like that, I've been known to say, and we probably, some of us have said this, sorry, did I just say that out loud? Did I just say that out loud? Yes, yes, that's external processing. That's a chatterbox. It can become a case of opening up our mouths before we've thought about the consequences. And actually, that bit's not so funny. James is clear here that it's a good discipline to learn to be slow to speak and listen more than we're speaking. This doesn't mean, and I've had people like this before, in fact, I, I was a little bit like this myself for a long time, that you just stop speaking altogether or stop giving your opinion because you think, well, there's kind of a false humility that comes in deciding not to give your opinion at all. And that's not what James is saying. He's saying slow to speak, not not speak at all. So slow to speak, speaking kindly, speaking truth, building each other up. So these are really good lessons, aren't they, in living the word of God. They're not just a list of rules. Starting with the love of God and then some pointers as to how to live this word of God. Another one, slow to become angry. Some of us justify having a short fuse. Somehow if you call it a short fuse, it's not anger, which is actually wrong because a short fuse is being quick to anger. You're actually saying, I light my fuse and then within a little puff, I'm rah. Exodus 34 verse 6 is the most quoted verse within the Bible. It says this, the Lord is slow to anger. It doesn't say he never gets angry, and that's the bit that those with a short fuse justify their short fuse with. No, it doesn't actually say he's never, he's never angry. But what he's not is he's not on the boil all the time. I think you know that you're struggling 
with anger when it's the last straw all the time. The next thing happens, it's the last straw. Well, it was only the first straw because you had the last straw last time. That kind of, it's the last straw all the time. What does God say? He says, learn to be slow to anger. Now, for some of us, that's going to be harder than just a word. But remember, when we were again in the prophetic, it was very evident that we're not just on our own in this. We have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. So when we know, rather than justify that this is us, we say, Father, help me with this. By the power of your Holy Spirit, how can it not be the last straw this time? How can I go through this and choose not to be angry? The next one. Get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. Are we willing? Are we willing? There's a part of our will that is really, really important to get rid of the stuff that's immoral unhelpful, not of God, something that because of it we're compromised. Are some of us saying, yeah, well, there's this sin in me, but it's not as bad as that sin over there. It's not as bad as their sin. If we deal with one part of our life, but not all of it, what's that actually saying? Is it saying, I'm half living for you, God? I'm half living for you. And then do we justify this with, I know, I know, it's that thing, it's that thing cropping up again. I do realize it's there, but we're not all perfect. Anyone use that as a justification? We're not all perfect. There's a lot of smiles in the room today. We're not all perfect, and we know this. And when we come to God, we know that we're not all perfect. But when we start to use that as our justification rather than our thankfulness that God's got it covered. Justification for sinning rather than so thankful, God, that because I know I'm not perfect, you've covered me. When we justify, then we've got a problem. And then the last bit of that that verse, and humbly accept the word planted in you. Why did he throw that bit in? Humbly accept it, which can save you. Humbly accept the word. The opposite of humble is proud. When we humbly God's, accept God's word, we see ourselves as God sees us, which is fabulous. That's a fabulous, fabulous part of humbly accepting God's word. We humbly accept that we are loved. We humbly accept that we have security in him. And more than that, we totally accept that he is great. He is magnificent. He is awesome. He is over everything. He is wonderful. And we are humbled by his majesty. If we come to the attitude to the word with the attitude of pride, we tend to come to it thinking, oh, I know this already. I know it. I know this bit. And we can start to believe that there isn't anything else I can learn because I, I kind of know it already. I've been around... I've been around the block a bit in church. I know how to do it. I know, I know what the Bible says. Do you know what? If we have this attitude, it's, proud, it's pride. It's pride. Humbly accept the word planted in you. Okay, so we've got five things to watch. We've got our listening, our speaking, our temper, our sin, and our humility. Not a bad list. 
But what I love about the list is it doesn't come from you there. You're not listening. It says learn to be it. Learn to be it. Because these things help you. Can we see maybe one of these that might need addressing in ourselves? Do you know what? There might be more than one because they're not mutually exclusive. It's not, well, I'm a bad listener. You might be a bad... No, no. I'm joking. But there's a little bit of... Maybe there's some of these that might be hitting home. I'm going to tell you a story. You'll probably conclude that it's not true. That, that's because it's not true. But listen. One day, a dad gets up really early. And it's too early to wheel the wheelie bin to the gate, so he leaves his sons a note. And the note says this. I love you, sons. Can you please wheel the bin to the gate because it's a bit early and I'm off to work now. The sons get up and they read the note. Oh, he did put on the note, and do this before you go to school, please. Okay. So the dad sent a nice letter. The dad comes home, no one's done the rubbish, and the dad says to his sons, hey, did you get my letter? Did you get my letter this morning? Oh, thanks for your letter, dad. That was such a good letter. You wrote it really, really well. And um, let me just give you a bit of praise there, dad, for your, your understanding of the English language. You put all of your full stops and commas in the right place. And your use of prose was particularly good. And we really, really enjoyed reading your letter. In fact, we decided we'd skip school and study your letter because there was a lot in it about rubbish. And we enjoyed studying the rubbish. We even got to the place of writing a PowerPoint presentation on other people's rubbish attitudes across the world. We then thought, actually, should we ring such and such and such and such, get them over and do a study on it. So we rang some friends, they also skipped school, and we did a study on rubbish in the Bible. And did you know that in the Old Testament, they even burned their rubbish outside of the gates? It's amazing. Dad, your letter has really stirred us. And, you know, we've done a Greek word study on rubbish. In Philippians, we're told that all religion is like rubbish. And we've now started, wait for it, Dad, wait for it, We've started a website ministry about the theology of rubbish. Okay, the dad has a simple question. Did you put the rubbish out? No, no, we were too busy doing studies on rubbish. Right, what am I doing? Obviously, we know where I'm going with this story. It's kind of clear. We can look at the Bible, we can look at the word and we can study the Bible, we can study the Word, we can know a lot. But we can know without doing, without actually taking on board any of its truth. James was hitting this concept head on. The thing is, Jesus wasn't like this himself. He knew a lot, and he did a lot. His whole life was dedicated to the cause of the Father. The kingdom of God was was his whole life, his whole thing. He studied, and he did. He knew the word of God, and he lived the word of God. He knew about the rubbish. He taught about the rubbish. He avoided the rubbish. He told us to get rid of the rubbish. And on our behalf, he completely cleared out the rubbish. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Do what it says. Maybe some of us have been Christians for a while, 
maybe some of us have been to a few conferences, read a few books, we kind of know the speak and the right things to say. Maybe we're vulnerable of being in the trap of deceiving ourselves. The truth is knowledge itself doesn't change us. Knowledge on its own is pride. The problem with pride is, you kind of guessed it, you don't know because you're proud and you haven't noticed. Being alone and out of community makes us most vulnerable to pride. Because if we're alone and outside of community, we're left in a place where no one's walking with us anymore. No one's kind of rubbing shoulders with us and helping us in our journey. But if we're proud about the word, we think we know it all already and we think we're all right on our own. I believe we can attend church and still have a little bit of this attitude, still have a little bit of the attitude of, I don't need need the others alongside me in community. We have Jesus as our saviour and our big brother and our king, all in one. We have the best thing in common. And this is why we're family and this is why it's important that we're together. It wasn't until I recognized properly that I was a part of us all that I really wanted us all. For whatever reason, I would exclude myself from being part of this family. I'd be the one running off at the end, not going to the coffee because somebody might get me and speak to me. But then that sense of... Now, now for those who don't know me, I'm pretty much the last one out of the building. You know, It's that sense of I know now who our family is and why we've got each other. And now I want us. And I'm precious about us. And I love us. When we think back to the earlier question from Galatians, who cut in on you? Maybe for some of us that's pride. Maybe. I'm just going to mention the enemy here as well, because sometimes, just sometimes, the enemy just sneaks in front of us and tells us a load of lies. The thing is, the enemy has the same access to scripture as we do. He knows what's in it. So he can use it and twist it. And he'd be happy for us to be concentrating our rubbish for the rest of our days. He'd be happy on that. And he'd be happy to be proud about what we know about the rubbish. But let's remember that the devil tempted Jesus with the truth of scripture, but he twisted it. He twisted it. He misquotes. He half-quotes. He uses the good of scripture and tries to trap us. And he did this to Jesus. And Jesus could stand against the temptation of the enemy by both knowing the word, he knew it well, and living it. And Jesus also tells us that we can do that too. And we need each other because we're all part of a family. He was in community, Jesus. He He said himself, I only do what the Father tells me. And before ever he went into the wilderness where he was tempted by the enemy, he said, you know, he was absolutely filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. We mustn't ignore the importance of being filled by the, every day by the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. So that when we're walking in our world, we know, we know when it's a twisted lie in front of us. We know when the enemy is tempting us because we know, because we know the truth and we know about living in the truth and we have the Holy Spirit presence in us every day to remind us of who he is. Let's look at the next part of this wonderful scripture. Verses 23 to 25. 
Anyone who listens to the word but does not do it, do what it says. It's like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And this is like me looking in the mirror, walking away and saying, I am so proud of myself. I am so blonde, so tall and so leggy and stick thin. Stick thin. That's me. That's like me doing that. I'm looking in the mirror and coming to a conclusion and being really pleased at the fact that I'm all of these things. That is how absurd it is, because I don't know whether you've noticed, I'm not blonde. I'm not talking about the other things right now, but I'm not blonde. (laughs) And it is so absurd. A twisted view or religious view of scripture does a similar thing. When we walk away from scripture, what does it say? What does it truly say? What does it say? What do we know it says? And how do we live what it says? False religion, lies, distorted mirrors lead us to self-deception. And therefore it twists our lives. When we look in the mirror, surely we want to see the truth. We want to see the truth. Do you know what? If I've got a great big spot on my face when I look in the mirror, don't have to tell me now if I've got one, but if I do, I want to know about it. I want to know about it. When we look in the mirror, when we read the truth of the word of God, let's be people who want to know what it says, who want to live what it says. And more than that, to believe and trust in the author to believe and trust in who God is. We want the truth. And if God's got something he wants us to look at in our lives, he's going to reveal that truth to us. Verses 26 to 27. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James here has given another blast at our tongue, and he does that again, and we're going to look at that later on in our series. This bit about lies or deceit, making us think of our problems and making us becoming selfish or self-centered What does true religion do? True religion that is acceptable and totally of God. It is pure and faultless. True religion takes us to a place of acting out in practice what we know in our heads is truth. We are to know the word and live the word. God's truth is absolutely helpful to people. God's purity cares for others. Widows and orphans were the most vulnerable people in their society. Who are the most vulnerable people in our society right now? Who are they? How are we showing the people in need in our society the total love of God? How are we living the word in that area? 
James was saying, guys, true religion includes this. The fact is we are a family, we are brothers and we are sisters and we are a family. And if we've got anyone that's vulnerable within our family or anyone vulnerable within our community, then doing the word of God includes looking after people who are vulnerable. The last line there says, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The trouble with this is that we come to this passage knowing that we've already been polluted. There are things that I have done in my life that I wish I didn't do and they're now undoable. There are things in my past, not necessarily in the present, but there are things in my past that kind of come with me like a little bit of a blot, a little bit of a stain. So we could then, if we know this, we could then be tempted to read this bit and say, I can't attain that. I'm already polluted by the world. But that, again, is an enemy twist on Scripture because that's not the truth. When Jesus came to earth, he came to convict us of our sin, yes. Tell us we've got sin in our life that's not helpful, not great for us, keeps us from his best. And he showed it us. He's shown us that it existed. And what else did he do? He said, I've come to save you from your sin. Show us that he's dealt with it. He's, he's dealt with it. Not to condemn us. Condemn us. We are told that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Amen. Did Jesus walk through this life unstained? Yes, he did. Jesus says to all of us, I have come to make an exchange. So if we can imagine, Jesus is standing there in white, perfect white, and that is symbolizing his perfect holiness. And he says, I tell you what, you give me your filthy rags and I'll give you my white robes. I'm going to make an exchange, which symbolizes that he has dealt with the sin. He says to us, I trade you your life with mine. We're to know this. How much do we know this? Because if we know this, we live this. We live it every day. We're not living by a strict rule book of a distant, uncaring, authoritarian father. We are living with the grace and the love and the glory of our close and wonderful father. The stain has gone. On the cross, Jesus said, it's finished, it's gone. I've dealt with every one of those old stains. Every one of them has been dealt with. My question today is, have we brought all of the stuff to Jesus? Because I know that sometimes when we come to him for the first time and when we come to him again, sometimes we just bring part of it. Sometimes we don't think that he can possibly look upon us with that kindness, with that generosity, with that goodness, if he was looking at this thing. So my question today is, have we brought it all? Or are we holding on to a bit, either because we're embarrassed that it happened or because we quite like it, so therefore we'd quite like to stay in that sin? Have we brought it all? He deals with it all, but we do have to want to give it up. We know what the truth is. We know what the word says. But if we concluded we can't give this bit up, or this time I've really messed up, 
I'm saying today, maybe today is your time to, say, to come to God and say, actually, that's a twist on truth. It's a twist on what your Bible says. Your word says, I can live in the truth of what your word says. That's what your word says. And is it time to throw off the sin that entangles us? What has cut in on you? What has cut in on you? Is it time to say, I'm giving you this thing because it's cut in on me and it's like a wall in front of me. It's like a thing that's arrived in front of me. And all I look at when I'm trying to run my race is this thing. Is it time to put that and say, Jesus, to know your word and live your word means I'm giving this thing up. We are the beloved. That's where James starts. All who have accepted the truth of Jesus, all who have been transformed by his amazing love for us. One day, at the end of time, we will be partying with God, all wearing white, in heaven. Jesus calls us his beloved. He makes us righteous. We are totally, totally, totally acceptable to him. And the best he has for us is to know the truth and to be set free by the truth and to live in his truth. I think I'm going to finish there. Thank you.